We'll be reading from Acts 27, starting at verse 39. And as we read this, uh, we're seeing that Paul has gotten himself into quite a predicament. And the section is called the shipwreck, and that's exactly where he finds himself. And, you know, much of what Paul found himself in was some of his doing, some of the doing of others, some of the fact that he just lives on this earth, (laughs) and there are things that happen through nature and other things. Um, And he finds himself in this situation, right? And the amazing thing is, is that God has it. And I've been through times like that, and I suspect there are people in this room that are in that place right now. Um, And so this is an amazing story of just remembering that God has this, even if it's something that it's of my making, right? The shipwreck, verse 39, chapter 27 of Acts. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, uh, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. And he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we can pray and go to the Lord's table and go home. Thank you so much for that reading, Lori. I love whenever, uh, whenever you open God's word. I, yeah, I learned something that meant a lot to me. Uh, welcome to Christ Community's downtown campus. My name is Tyler, one of the pastors here. It is a good uh, day to be in church. You picked a great Sunday to be with us because... Um, as Lori said, we're talking about a shipwreck, so I have a few nautical theme puns to get out of the way just at the top of the thing. This morning, we're going to dive in uh, to a riveting story of a storm-tossed ship at sea. I hope you brought a life vest because the waters are about to get choppy. Uh, in all seriousness, though, you're going to want to hold on uh, because we've got a long way to go until we reach shore. We're about to get slammed with a tidal wave of truth, uh, and by the end of our time, I hope we'll be drowning in new insight and fresh encouragement. Uh, okay, it is... Out of the way, so sorry, uh, just had to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed it as well. But it's true, what Lori just read, this account of a marine vessel hitting land, it sounded to me when I first encountered it more like it belonged in a, I don't know, a Hemingway novel, uh, like it was part of Treasure Island or something, than like it was part of Holy Scripture. And it's filled with lots of details about rudders and sails and ropes and boats. But yet, Luke, uh, the historian, Luke, the physician, Luke, the careful compiler of the book of Acts, chose to include a 60-verse narrative about Paul's near-death disaster at sea at the very end of his thorough narrative documenting the origin of the early church. And why? Why would Luke do this? Well, it seems that Luke thought this was an important event to describe in detail. And my prayer, church, is that by the end of our time this morning together, we will see why. 
In a very real sense, for the next few minutes, we're going to engage a first century version of Wolfgang Peterson's The Perfect Storm, right? No one was prepared for this storm. Um, and I'm sorry to report that George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg won't be with us, uh, but there is a moment a little later where I might need some other help acting out part of the story. Um, in first service, we relied on a lot of our kiddos. We canceled kids' ministry this morning. But if there are any adults whose parents never let them do anything fun, uh, you'll have an opportunity here in just a little bit, if you, should you want to take it. If not, uh, it will be a one-man show, and I'm sure it'll be hilarious. Uh, though you will have an opportunity to be a part of the sermon, should you so uh, desire. But at multiple points in this morning's story, it will seem as if all hope is lost. Um, it will seem as if tragedy is certain, as if this is one of those, like, Oscar movies that has a really sad ending. But as we just heard Lori read, Paul does make it out alive. Um, this story when it's all said and done, ends with salvation. It ends with rescue, which is why I think it's a story worth studying. And it's why I think Luke gave so much space to this particular account at the end of his broader historical narrative in the book of Acts. I think this is a story worth engaging. Uh, I think this is a story worthy of our time and our attention because it helps us answer a critical question. Uh, what does God's rescue look like? What does God's rescue look like? Because everyone knows that rescue is central to the Christian faith. Uh, people that would call themselves Christians and people who would say, no, that's not me. Those who never come to church and those who get extra points for being here on Labor Day weekend. Uh, those who can't stand God or the idea of God and those who say, God is my heavenly father. Everyone, everyone knows that Christians are all about being saved. Uh, Christians are all about being rescued. Christians are about being saved from trouble, being saved from sin, being saved from death, saved from evil, and rescued into life. The Christian story is a rescue story, but what does rescue look like? What does God's rescue look like? I think Luke wants to give us a fuller picture this morning. In his incredibly detailed account of Paul's shipwreck on Malta, Luke shows us that God's rescue sometimes looks different than we might assume. So let's see what Luke has to say. If you have a Bible with you this morning, uh, would you join me in Acts chapter 27? Acts 27, it's on page, I think, 936, if my memory serves, yeah, of our community Bibles, Acts 27. And when you get there, you'll see beginning in verse 1 that Luke has recorded careful, careful details of his travels with Paul. Remember, Luke is with Paul at this point. They're getting ready to make their way to Rome. And Luke says, our journey started at Adramidium in verse 1. Um, where we set sail, and then we landed in Sidon, verse 3, and then we landed in Myra, verse 5, before finally making it to Fair Havens. We see that in verse 8. Now, you can see Paul's progress in this journey on the map of our sea. So we start here, we land in Sidon first, we make it to Myra, we come over there, down to Fair Havens there on the island of Crete. So you'll notice Paul's kind of hugging the shoreline as he makes his way westward towards Rome. The best thing I could think of is this is like some big, you know, cross-country flight with a whole lot of layovers. You know, I started in LaGuardia, I made it to O'Hare, I got to McCarran before finally making it to LAX. You know, it's a long, long journey, lots of stops along the way, and he's getting there slowly but surely. But by the time Paul and his companions make it to Fairhavens, so they're in the center of the map, if you can see it, Fairhavens, by the time they get there, it's like mid-September or early October. Right, Mid-September, early October, around this time of year, actually. And how do we know this? Well, it's because verse 9 says, 
the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Now, the fast that's being referred to here is the fast associated with the Hebrew holiday Yom Kippur, which is celebrated in September. In fact, it's coming up. You haven't missed it. Um, if you need to participate in your own Yom Kippur celebration, it's September 18th this year, so add that to your calendar. But the fast, Yom Kippur is what they're talking about. So the fast is already over, so it's late fall. It's late September, it's early October by the time they're there, which means in this part of the world that winter is right around the corner. And winter in the Mediterranean means storms. It means storms. In fact, most ancient sailors avoided hitting the high seas between September all the way until March because the waters could be so treacherous, a storm could just come up at a moment's notice. And so Paul says to those with him, knowing this, being aware, Paul advised those he was with, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage, should we choose to continue, will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. All right, so Paul's saying, hold on, guys, we know that it's really dangerous to sail in September and October in the Mediterranean. But the centurion, the Roman soldier charged with keeping Paul and the other prisoners in custody, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. It just reminded me a lot of the movie Titanic, right? Where they're like, let's push it, let's push it, let's see how great our ship is. The ship's owner wants to get there. The, the sailors on the ship think they can make it. They're wanting to prove that they can make it to Rome just in time. And the centurion listens to them instead of to Paul's warning. And because the harbor, the harbor there at Fair Havens where they were, was not suitable to spend the winter, and the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. So Paul says, guys, it's late in the year. It's dangerous to sail. Let's just stay here. But he's ignored. And instead, the centurion, the Roman soldier commissioned to get Paul where he needs to go, listens to the boat owners and the crew members, and they decide to press their luck to see if they can make it to Phoenix, because like many modern-day retirees, they know that Phoenix is a great place to go when the weather changes. <laughs> come on, come on. Um, and it doesn't seem that far, actually. Let's look at this map. So Phoenix, uh, it's right around the corner. I think we've got the, the Phoenix map. Oh, there, yeah, there's our retirees. Um, so Phoenix, right? It's right, it's not far from Fairhaven. So they say, we're going to press our luck. We're going to make it a little bit further. We'll be there very, very soon. And they decide to go for it. And as you can already tell, it doesn't turn out well. But first, we've got to pause. We've said this morning that our story is a story of rescue, and that is indeed where our time together is headed. But before we get there, uh, there's a few things we need to acknowledge, a few things we just need to acknowledge at this point in the story. First, uh, we need to acknowledge that sometimes we find ourselves in distress because of the decisions of others. I mean, Lori made this so beautifully clear already. Sometimes we find ourselves in distress because of the decisions of others. That's where Paul is about to find himself. He knew that a decision to set sail this late in the year would bring disaster, but no one would listen to him. And so we'll see in a few moments that he finds himself in terrible turmoil and in a really difficult place because of a decision that he didn't make, because of a decision that was made by others. You know, I mean, have you ever found yourself there? Maybe a boss made a call that you knew would be disastrous, or perhaps a loved one decided to do something that you knew would end in heartache. I mean, whatever it is, sometimes we all find ourselves in distress because of the decisions made 
by others. And I think that's a reality we need to acknowledge this morning in church. I mean, it's something if even for this moment we need to lament that that's a reality in our world, that we can find ourselves in great pain and with great heartache because of decisions we never made, because of decisions other people made. It's a, it's a tragic human reality. Decisions others make can cost us and wound us greatly. And we need to acknowledge that instead of pretending that doesn't happen in church, right? So that's the first thing we need to acknowledge this morning. But we also need to acknowledge that sometimes, just sometimes, we're the ones who make bad decisions despite warning signs. Sometimes, like the centurion and like the ship's owners and pilots, uh, we ignore the warnings that God is giving us and then find ourselves facing great consequences. I mean, sometimes God sends us real obvious warning signs, you know, like a big stop sign, red and white, you know, stop in capital letters. It's super clear that this isn't going to turn out well, and God's giving us that kind of warning saying, don't go there, it's not going to end well. Or other times God warns us through people or, or through his word. And if you're anything like me, when those kinds of warnings come, uh, you might find yourself tempted to ignore them. I mean, to think that you'll be the exception, you're going to make it, you're going to cheat the system, you know. I mean, I know other people have failed, but I'm not going to. Trust me, this is all going to work out fine. And Paul warned those with him of the dangerous conditions they were about to encounter, but they wouldn't listen. And they didn't listen to Paul because Paul wasn't a sailor. He was a prisoner. And friends, sometimes we ignore the people that God sends to us to give us warnings because they appear to us to be less than qualified to tell us what to do. You know, we won't listen to the single person who's got concerns about our marriage, and we won't listen to the married people who's got concerns about our dating. You know, and parents, we won't listen to the concerns of our children, and children, we won't listen to the thoughts of our parents because they don't know the pace and the practices of modern life. They're so out of touch. You know, we won't listen to people who aren't from the right part of town, who didn't graduate with the right kind of degree, who don't hold the right kind of job, whatever it is, because we think we know better. There are certain kinds of people that we are all tempted to ignore. But be careful who you ignore, because God just might be sending them your way to give you a warning. You know, have you been listening to the people, to the voices that God has put in your life to give you warnings about something that could be harmful to you? you know, those who are with Paul ignored him. They said, we're going to be just fine. We're, we're going to make it, you know. I know that other people don't sail this time of year, but we're going to, and it'll work out for us. And wouldn't you know it, but as soon as they set sail, a powerful wind came, and Paul and his crew began to face very real trouble. Now, as I said, uh, there's a moment where I'll need some extra help telling the story this morning. This is that moment, uh, so you have your chance if you want to act it out, and if not, again, I am like, you know, born for this day, like theater and me will come right out. But if anyone wants to join me on stage, we have an opportunity to act out for everyone else uh, what happened to Paul and his ship at sea. Is anyone ready for their big moment? Hey, Josh, are you coming? Oh, man. Everyone's volunteering you. Anyone? Anyone? Carly? Interested? No, that's all right. Okay, I, am, I will do it by myself. I just, here's what you're missing out on. You could have got a sailor hat. I don't know if this will change anyone's idea. Uh, we had these for the kiddos in first service. So here's what happens, and I'm, I'm going to do it, y'all. So we all had our hats for service. So we're on the ship, okay? We're on the ship. We decide we're sailing anyway. 
It's time for us to go. There are a few left if you still want one. So we're on the ship, right? And it's going and the wind starts blowing. So we're blowing around, right? It's coming and it's tossing us. And suddenly the ship starts to fall apart. So we have to send ropes underneath to kind of tie it and hold it together. So earlier we were holding onto the carpet, right? To show that. Then we're tossed more and more and more. So it's time for us to start jettisoning our supplies, right? Because the ship is too heavy. So we've got to let off, you know, whatever, our extra weight. So the ship's taking this, and then we were working so hard in the midst of the storm that we get really hungry. You know, we're just so hungry. We haven't been eating, we haven't been eating, and we've been working so hard that we're just tired. Oh, we're so tired. We gotta sleep, you know, because it's going there. So, I know, it was great, yeah. Um, so the ship's tossed by the wind. We're throwing supplies overboard. We haven't had much to eat. We're really, really exhausted. That's where we are, right, in the middle of this middle, middle, middle of this disaster. Everything is falling apart. And as that's happening, Paul decides to make a little speech to those with him on the ship. And he says, men, you should have listened to me, right? Which is all great words, right? You should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, Paul says, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So Paul says, look, I told you this plan wasn't wise. I said this isn't what we should do. I pleaded with you, guys, let's think, let's not do this, let's not do this. But you wouldn't listen. And now here we are on a storm-tossed boat, having thrown supplies overboard, having gone without food, having been without rest, and now we don't have much hope. However, Paul says, there is no need to panic because no one is going to lose their lives. We're going to make it out alive. We'll lose the ship, but we will survive because an angel of the God that I worship has told me that we will, and I trust my God. So take heart, Paul says, we're going to be rescued. And Paul encourages those on his ship uh, that their story will have a happy ending. He confidently declares that they're not doomed to drown at sea. Paul says we're going to make it. And I wonder how Paul's words were received by those with him on the ship. I wonder if those on the storm-battered ship breathed like a sigh of relief, or maybe they just sort of shook their head with skepticism. I wonder if they dismissed Paul as crazy, um, or maybe they really latched on to his confidence. I wonder if they thought, oh, yes, you know, here's one of those Christ followers with a whole lot of word of comfort and hope from their God, we're going to be all right. Or if they thought, oh, man, another one of those Christians, you know, with some positive thoughts in the midst of a terrible circumstance. I, I just wonder how Paul's words were received. The fact is, Luke doesn't tell us. All he says next is, and when the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So Paul utters this big word of confidence. He shares this big message of hope. And then some time passes. And some more time passes. Indeed, Luke writes, after 14 nights at sea, after more than two weeks tossed about by the winds, at the mercy of the waves, after floating around, even after Paul gave this word of confidence, after all that, suddenly, 
the sea just starts to get shallower and shallower and shallower and shallower. So it becomes clear to the sailors that land is getting closer and closer. And then verse 39, daylight came. And they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. And so cutting loose the anchors, right? They're getting rid of more stuff. They left them in the sea. And at the same time, they untied the ropes that had held the rudders. Again, everything's being held together by rope. And they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. And the bow stuck fast and would not move, right? The boat stuck there. And the waves keep coming. So the boat's being broken apart piece by piece. You know, the ship has finally struck ground. The boat and crew are no longer at the mercy of the wind. And then at this moment, Luke says, the soldiers plan to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away. After all that, right, they've survived together. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. And so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. And then the rest were supposed to get there on planks or other pieces of the ship. And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Everyone reached land safely. After more than two weeks at sea, what was supposed to be a short journey, after the wind broke up the ship and the cargo had been thrown overboard and the food supplies exhausted and the people themselves exhausted, the terrible storm has come to an end. Paul and his companions are safe. They can breathe deeply and rest again. You know, we said at the outside of our time this morning that this text helps us answer the question, what does God's rescue look like? I've got to be honest with you. At this point in the story, Luke's narrative doesn't really feel like a remarkable rescue story that I love to read. You know, it doesn't really seem all that grand in one sense, does it? I mean, sure, the story ends with Paul and his 276 shipmates uh, no longer being tossed around and battered at sea. They found themselves safe at shore. Yes, that's certain, but the ship has been lost. You know, and everything on board will have to be replaced. And those who made it to safety uh, made it there by floating on little scraps of wood, you know, right into shore. Again, Titanic, it's rose on the door, right? (laughs) Just floating away to safety. It can feel, if we're cynical, kind of underwhelming, can it? You know, it can feel uh, a little disappointing. In some ways, it doesn't really feel like a story of rescue, but rather a story of endurance, And you see, I realize when I sit down to hear a story of God's rescue, when I realize I'm about to engage a story that someone say, hey, God showed up in this story and and redeemed this situation, I often find myself wanting to hear a story of like unexpected power and God shows up, you know, early, just the right time with like all these resources and everything's put back together and things just get better and better and better and better as the story goes along. Not, you know, worse and worse and worse and worse, or at least where things just keep going and going and going and going. You know, in this instance, I want God to, like, show up and calm the storm and then, like, magically repair the boat and then, like, a whale comes and just sort of nudges it back into a harbor, you know, and everyone's like, like, that's the kind of story I want with God's rescue. I don't want it to end with a ship being broken apart on a sandbar and grown men kind of kickboarding their way in there on pieces of a boat. You know what I'm saying? I want God's rescue to be dramatic and over the top and undeniable and big and glorious. But I think what Luke is wanting us to see in this text this morning is that often God's rescue comes from people you don't expect, at times you don't expect, in ways you don't expect. 
mean, many times God's rescue comes through people you don't expect, at times you don't expect, in ways you don't expect. I think this is why Luke dedicates 60 verses to this storm account at the end of the book of Acts. Because he wants to remind us that God's rescue can come in ways that don't at first seem glorious, don't at first seem grand, even though it is God's rescue nonetheless. In God's rescue, Luke says, it can come through people you don't expect. It sure can. God's rescue can come through people you've just met. It can come from people who've hurt you in the past. It can come through people you were convinced didn't care about you at all. You know, in Paul's instance, rescue came through the centurion Julius, who ensured that Paul's life was spared when the other soldiers wanted to kill him. And isn't that something, a prison guard now having Paul's back? And Paul's rescue came through the sailors and the ship owners who worked tirelessly in the midst of the storm to ensure that the boat didn't completely break apart, even though they had ignored him days before. I mean, it cannot be denied. Paul could not have made it through this two-week period of incredible difficulty without those people that God had placed around them, people who were keeping him in chains and people who had ignored him, to be sure, but he couldn't have made it without them. And friends, in the same way, God's rescue for you might come through people you don't expect. You know, the helpers God sends your way in the midst of difficulty might not be the people you at first imagine. Now, what if God's rescue came through that coworker who mocks your faith? Or what if God's rescue came through that classmate you've never spoken to? What if God's rescue came through that family member you haven't seen in a long time? I mean, God's rescue might come through people you don't expect. This seems to be God's pattern. I mean, remember, God rescued Joseph by using some friends that Joseph met in prison. And God rescued these spies in Israel by using a woman named Rahab, who they certainly did not expect would be a helper. And God rescued Paul through the commands of a Roman military leader. God's rescue just might come through people you don't expect. It's the first thing Luke wants us to see. It might come through people we don't expect. And then number two, God's rescue just might come to you at times you don't expect. At times you don't expect. And I got to be honest, when I walked through this narrative the first time, there were multiple points at which I thought it was about to end. You know, I thought, well, certainly God's going to show up and rescue by having the soldiers heed Paul's warning. You know, God's given Paul this warning and this word to share. They're going to pay attention to him. Well, no, the story keeps going. Well, certainly God's going to show up as soon as Paul takes this big stand for his faith, right? That's what we see in Acts. Paul says, my God's going to save us. And then the next morning, you know, the, the whale comes up and puts the boat to shore. You know, I mean, at multiple points, it's like, it's about done, it's about done, it's about done. Now God's going to show up. Now God's going to show up. Now God's going to show up. But that's not what happened. Instead, one night, the ship's crew just got a sense they were approaching land. And the next morning, their ship ran aground. You know, it's no Hollywood ending. There's no dramatic big finish. It's often not how I imagine God showing up, but Luke tells us that this is what God's rescue looked like for Paul. It came at a time when no one expected it, after the 14th night at sea. I mean, many times God's rescue comes at the moments we least expect. In fact, I don't know about you, but in my life, it, it seems as if God's rescue always arrives later than I hoped, you know, long after my patience has run out, long after my hope reserves are depleted. And this morning, Luke's story helps us see that God's rescue can come through people we don't expect, but it can come at times we don't expect. 
after we've thought, hey, this is it. This is just the way it is. It's never getting any better. That's, that's when God can show up and suddenly we realize, oh, wow, we're, we're closer to shore than we ever imagined. So it can come at times we don't expect to. And finally, God's rescue, it can come in ways we don't expect. It can come in ways we don't expect. God's rescue doesn't always come in ways that seem grand and exciting, though we've seen many of those in Acts, haven't we? I mean, God rescues Paul from his error through like a blinding light, and I loved preaching that story, you know, and there's certainly some like flaming tongues of fire in Acts. There's a lot of fun stuff in this book. God can show off really big, and he does throughout this narrative, but here, when Paul finds himself in the middle of challenge and difficult circumstances, uh, God didn't send a big ship, you know, he just provided pieces of a shipwreck, but it was enough to get folks ashore. In Paul's case, God's rescue. It didn't come preemptively. It didn't come dramatically. It didn't come early. Rather, uh, the rescue looked a whole lot like endurance. God did not rescue Paul from the store by removing him from it, uh, but God showed up through unexpected people at unexpected times in unexpected ways to help Paul endure the storm and ultimately to bring him to safety, to help Paul survive, to help Paul carry out his God-ordained mission to go testify to the truth of Jesus Christ in Rome. And God's rescue from people we didn't expect at times we didn't expect in ways we don't expect. You know, as I was reflecting on this text this week, I was reminded of words I heard from Pastor Charlie Dates. If you don't know Charlie, uh, Charlie preaches at Progressive Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago. I would say, uh, in my humble opinion, one of the finest preachers living um, in the United States. So if you need me to send you some Charlie Dates videos, I sure can. Uh, but if you haven't, so I love Charlie. Uh, but Charlie says, every man and woman builds their house in the pathway of a storm. He says, part of living life is that sometimes some trouble comes your way just because you're here. Right? And I love that. I think that's true. And we see that in this morning's text, don't we? I mean, Paul, God's apostle, faces great trouble. And to be clear, Paul's not being punished, right? He's not going through this trouble because he wasn't doing God's will or because he did something bad and now God's mad and he's going to show him. In fact, to the contrary, it's because Paul had been so faithful, because he had been so bold about who Jesus is, that now he's going to Rome for a trial, right? Trouble, as Pastor Charlie says, sometimes comes your way just because you're here. And when that trouble comes, we all find ourselves seeking rescue, don't we? We look to various things, we turn to various people, we seek counsel from various authorities in our attempt to find rescue and to put everything back together. When we're hurting, we look for comfort and hope and for a way out. And friends, hear this this morning. I am convinced that there is no better rescuer than the God who created this whole world and the God who created you. The God who loves you and loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. And the God that offers rescue to all people who put their faith in him. I think that he's a God who brings rescue even now in the midst of this broken world in which we find ourselves where things don't work in the way that we're designed. And even more so, I think he's a God who's bringing rescue ultimately when he's going to put everything back together, right every wrong, make sure that this broken world is made new again as he's promised he would do at kind of the culmination of all things in history. I'm convinced of that. Convinced of that. He's a rescuing God who's been telling a story of rescue from the very beginning. But I'm also convinced that in this life that we live, many times his rescue looks a little bit different than we might imagine. And then instead of coming in grand and glorious ways, though it sometimes does, there are other times when it comes in humble and small ways. 
in ways that seem normal and mundane. And Luke gives us an account in this book of Acts so that we'll have eyes to see what other ways God's rescue might look like in our own life. He's shown us what God's rescue looks like when it's dramatic in Acts. He also had to show us what God's rescue looks like when it's mundane and everyday. You know, when I was a student at Indiana University, I was introduced uh, to this writer, Kate Bowler. So I was in the religious studies program there. I'm writing my honors thesis. And Kate Bowler was a young professor at the time at Duke University. Loved her writing. Uh, there she is, laughing away, right? Uh, so Kate is like the leading expert uh, in studying a movement that's broadly called the prosperity gospel. So I would read a lot of her stuff for my particular research interest, but uh, a student, a, a scholar of the prosperity gospel. And uh, if you're not sure what the prosperity gospel is, it's, a, it's an interpretation of the Bible that says God wants everyone to be healthy and wealthy. And so if we pray hard enough, believe hard enough, many times give enough money kind of generously by faith, all that's going to come back to us in this life. Um, I will say this, there are some seeds of truth there, but I think it's largely incorrect. So did uh, Kate Bowler, and so she would write, she made a living um, writing really fair, honest, kind, but also sharp critiques of the prosperity gospel, and I loved reading Kate Bowler. You know, absolutely loved, loved, loved reading her. Well, you know, I graduate from IU, lots of time goes by. It's been many years since I see Kate Bowler's name until I stumble across it on the New York Times bestseller list. Because you see, Kate got cancer uh, really bad cancer, stage four colon cancer. And she writes about her experience in a memoir titled Everything Happens for a Reason. And Kate, who had a, a Mennonite Christian upbringing, which is so fascinating to me, right? She had this Mennonite Christian upbringing. She realized when she got her cancer diagnosis that even though she had made a living critiquing the prosperity gospel, and saying, hey, there's some, some flaws in this thinking. Even though, yes, God loves you and wants to bless you, man, the fact that it's going to come through this money and this life and this way, you know, she made her whole living critiquing the prosperity gospel. And she realized when she got cancer, she said, holy cow, even though I've made my living being a critic of this flawed, you know, perspective in theology, she's like, I realize I've internalized so many of the prosperity gospel assumptions. You know, I assumed that if I just followed God and did what he said, everything was going to go well for me and I was going to be perpetually blessed, never facing a storm. She writes this in the book. She says, married in my 20s, a baby in my 30s, I want a job at my alma mater straight out of grad school. And her alma mater is Duke, so that's a big deal. I felt breathless with the possibilities. It was certainty, plain and simple, that God had a worthy plan for my life in which I love this. Every setback would also be a step forward. She said, I wanted God to make me good and make me faithful with just a few shining accolades along the way. And anything would do if hardships were only detours on my life's journey. I believed God would make a way. She said, I was so confident that it was just going to be smooth sailing. Things are working out well in my life. And then the storm came. Right? Then the diagnosis showed up because as Pastor Charlie says, sometimes storms come your way just because you're here. And Kate Bowler says in her memoir, and I think Paul learned in the midst of his shipwreck, and Lori's testified it to already this morning, and there's people in this church who could tell you as well, that when that storm comes and we find ourselves looking for rescue, sometimes God's rescue comes in ways we don't expect. It might come from people we'd never imagine, at a time we'd never imagine, in a way that we never thought possible, and it just might look a little bit more like endurance than it does deliverance, but it is rescue nonetheless. Let's be clear, God rescued Paul from the storm, and our God is a rescuing God who wants to get you through any storm that you're facing. So church, what storms have you faced? And what storms are you facing? Are you looking for rescue? 
The Christian story is a story of rescue, and our God is a rescuer, but sometimes God's rescue looks different than we imagine it will. So will you join me now as I pray for God to give us eyes to see the ways he's already at work to rescue us? Will you join me? Oh, Lord, thank you for the reminder that you want to rescue us. And thank you that in your wisdom, uh, you saw fit for Luke to include this long account of a shipwreck in Acts. Lord, how my perspective has changed on this passage from something that's just kind of boring and, and too detailed to now something that gives me great hope and great encouragement. God, you are a rescuer. Uh, you show up when your kids are in trouble. You love to come through. Your story is one of rescue, cosmic rescue, sending your son to redeem and save the world. Let's never forget that that's at the core of who you are. But God, sometimes your rescue looks different than we imagine. So we're asking now, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see you at work in our lives in those areas where we need rescue. Lord, if we've been looking for flash and sparkle, can you adjust our eyes to the places where you are and to the people that you've put in our lives and to the unexpected ways that you might already be at work to rescue and redeem us. Today's text shows us, Lord, that you can rescue through mundane and humble things. Help us to have eyes to see that in our life. And Lord, if we're in the middle of a storm now, I pray that you would give us great encouragement in this moment, that you are coming through as a rescuer, and that even though it feels like we are far, far away from shore, Lord, you still have your eyes on us and you haven't forgotten about us at all. And so we come to you with all these requests, Lord, to our rescuing God, knowing that you're good and that you love us. And it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.